Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? All relationships are easy, and if it's any work at all, then it's not a good relationship. That's just not true. I agree. Not true. Uh, line them up, knock them down. Uh, that one, <laughs> knock down. <laughs> right. You know, listen, if it feels too hard, like we can have that conversation too, but, th- but everything's going to take some amount of work. Hi, welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we are talking about poly problems. So for the last few episodes, we've been focusing on consensual non-monogamy, including the basics, the myths, the questions, and the most important conversations to have. And today we're going to take a deep dive into open relationships by exploring the most commonly shared questions and concerns from those practicing open and polyamorous relationships. So for both of us, we've realized almost a decade each of open relationship experience. And then I want to say decades off of our lives from all the client, <laughs> client conversations, <laughs> the client conversations. <laughs> and helping people yeah. navigate through, through some of the really challenging times. And I think that my experience at least was this way. And those who I work with are, this was a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, you know, you picture the openness and the freedom and the fun and the, and you, don't think as much about the scheduling and the conversations and the negotiations. And oftentimes opening up a relationship opens up a can of worms or a Pandora's mm-hmm. box of mm-hmm. concerns or feelings or issues or insecurities. And so we're going to dig into some of that stuff today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the distinction that, that it's worth uh, making between the previous two episodes on consensual non-monogamy and this one is that Often the resources that are out there, they're more easily found, are resources for people who are at the beginning of their journey, right? So it's like, how do I, you know, how do I have the conversation with my partner? How do we navigate through our agreements? How do we date? How do we wrap our heads around jealousy? Where do we find new partners, right? All that kind of stuff that tends to happen in the the, the sort of front end of, of your journey. This particular episode, we're saying... This is like you've been practicing some version of non-monogamy for maybe a couple of years. You're kind of deep in it. Uh, you've had other relationships. You've navigated through the, the sort of the, the initial um, hurdles and you're sort of down the line. And now we're talking about, and, and I should say that those relationship struggles for the beginning of the relationship are actually, can, can also be seen in monogamous relationships, right? So the problems that we're going to sort of, unpack today are more uh, somewhat unique to people with open relationships with people who are practicing non-monogamy. They're situational and very specific to these dynamics and maybe sort of further down the line. And uh, yeah, like hashtag poly problems, essentially. 
And if you're not in that category, I think that this is important to listen to for two reasons. One is if being in an open relationship is something that's interesting to you, then you may want to listen in on some things that you may want to think about for the future. Mm -hmm. Or if you have folks in your life who are practicing open relationships and have been doing it for a little while, part of the struggle that we experience and why one of the reasons why Curious Fox exists is there's not a place to have conversations like this. And oftentimes people who are in open relationships don't get empathy or get met with judgment or lots of questions from folks who may be in monogamous relationships and don't understand the structure. Mm -hmm. So if you're not practicing it, but know folks who do and want to really listen in so that you can be more empathetic to what's going on in their lives and can ask questions that are informed and supportive, then listen in, listen in, listen in on the poly problems. Yeah, exactly. And also, I don't know, this is almost like a trailer for what what might, what might come for you down the line. And, and this is not to scare you, but just to say like, relationships are hard you know we say this almost every episode relationships are hard there are no there are no relationships with no conflict there are no relationships that sort of just happen without any care or attention you know and problems or ebbs and flows challenges are just part of any relationship so if you are at the beginning of your journey it's just worth listening in to see you know, what might come up. And then so when they do come up, you're not like entirely surprised by it. And you might be, you might remember like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember listening to that podcast. I know, I know, I know this. I got this. (laughs) Hopefully that's, this is what I will. This is the purpose of this particular episode. Yeah. I actually, I would love to start off with busting myths. We did that when we Mm -hmm. did Central Non-Monogamy 101. Mm -hmm. And I want to actually start with the one that you just said, which is that if this is a successful relationship, if it was meant to be, if we're supposed to Mm -hmm. be together, it shouldn't be this hard. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't feel like work. That's really the relationship shouldn't feel like work. And we recently, you and I collaborated on Consensual Non-Monogamy 101, and we did that workshop. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing another workshop together September 23rd on hashtag poly problems. Mm-hmm. In that conversation, when people, someone wrote in the chat, as we were talking through the conversations that need to happen as you open up and the process, someone wrote in the chat, like, this sounds like a lot of work. Right. And we're like, yes. Yep. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you know what's a lot of work? Work is a lot of work. A lot of the work that I do is with people who are in career transitions or trying to, you know, excel professionally. And the amount of care and work and effort that we put into our professional lives, Mm -hmm. planning out meetings, what we're going to wear, how we approach an email, Mm -hmm. there's a level of thoughtfulness there that often is not carried into our personal relationships. Sure. And should be. (laughs) And we should thinking about our communication before a text message as thoughtfully as we do an email mm-hmm. or preparing for a difficult conversation with a partner as thoughtfully as we would preparing for a presentation to the board. Absolutely. And so, yes, this is, this is work. It's worth it mm-hmm. to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to debunk the myth that in a relationship that there, is, if the relationship is right or good mm-hmm. or a good fit, that there is no work, that there is no effort, that it feels seamless and flowing. Right. That's not always the case. With no input and no effort on, on anyone's part. Yeah. It's interesting that you throw the, that you bring up the parallel with, with work. Uh, I actually have, I have actually come across in multiple sessions with different people saying, you know, I would share with them a communication tool or we'll talk through some conflict resolution and they'll be like, oh, we did a whole training at training for that at work. And I'm like, yes, it's not different. It's the same skills. 
or you know any kind of active listening or reflective listening and they're like oh yeah we did a whole like half day thing on this at work exactly you know and we kind of somehow compartmentalize those things and we don't think that those skills are relevant in relationships um and they very much are they will improve any relationship so it's it's just like anything if you want to be good at relationships if you want to thrive in a relationship it's a type of mastery you know it's 10,000 hours of practice and if depends if you want to prioritize your relationship if the quality of your relationship feels important to you if it is somehow interlinked with the quality of your life which is the case for most most of us you need to put in some work it's just it's just the way it is yeah i agree with you and i think that it is often the case that, again, people feel like they, if they have to put in too much work or if it feels too easy, and in the beginning of a relationship, it does feel really easy. It feels light. Mm-hmm. You want to get to know each other. It feels fun. Mm-hmm. But then when there starts to be some conflict, when when the adults meet each other, as you say, or mm-hmm. reality like kicks in mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this feels like some work, I would, I would say that if it feels worth it, if it feels aligned, the same is true with work work. If you're aligned in your work with something that you enjoy, it's work, mm-hmm. but it feels worth it. It also brings you to life. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's the same. That's the same that's happening in relationships. So mm-hmm. it's debunked number one. Yeah. All relationships are easy. And if it's any work at all, then it's not a good relationship. That's just not true. I agree. Not true. Uh, line them up, knock them down. Uh, that exactly. one, knock down. <laughs> right. And now listen, if it feels too hard, like we can have that conversation too, but, th- but everything's going to take some amount of work. Right. Okay. Myth number two mm-hmm. that we should unbuck immediately is that you should be as open as possible that mm. to be open and to be free means no rules no guidelines mm-hmm. you do you i do me and like the mo- and that you're working towards the most open that, that that a couple can be absolutely it's what i called polyard and thou syndrome <laughs> that's for people who think that the only expression of non-monogamy is at the very, very end extreme of like full-on polyamory with no boundaries, with no restrictions, with no agreements, with just as open as you can be. They can be both ways, right? They can feel it that way. They can feel it within themselves that they need to just tolerate way more than what would what would work for them. Or um, they could hear it from their partner of like, well, if you were poly, if you really wanted to be open, then you wouldn't ask me where I'm going or you wouldn't, you know, need reassurances or you wouldn't, you know, you would agree to whatever that they might not agree to. So I think it's a really important myth that we bust that the only gauge of a relationship, the health of a relationship or what you should be doing in a relationship is, is if you're thriving or not. It is you need to be connected to your thriving state. You need to know what it feels like, what it sounds like, what are the conditions that really get you there, that really nurture that state. And that to see if that your relationship in its in its most recent iteration supporting that that thriving state. Mm-hmm. And if whatever if you go on towards a direction, be it more open or less open, and you feel like you're no longer thriving, that means you're not on the right path. Time to course yeah. correct. 
Yeah. And there are a lot of different structures to choose from. There mm-hmm. is certainly monogamy, right? Sexual and emotional fidelity. Mm-hmm. There are folks who are just curious. So mm-hmm. you are practicing monogamy, but maybe with your partner, you like to fantasize about the idea of being with other people, mm-hmm. role-playing, you know, strangers at the bar, you're watching porn together, mm-hmm. thinking about it. Some folks are monogamish, you know, special days is like mm-hmm. threesome for your birthday. Or, or play parties or yeah, swinging occasionally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So mainly having a monogamous structure, but every once in a while engaging in activity that is outside of that or open, which is more sexual freedom or polyamorous, which allows for Mm -hmm. love and relationships. But often when people talk about it, it's in that like escalation that you Mm -hmm. go from one to the next. And if you are good with curious, monogamous, but just talking and fantasizing about other people Mm -hmm. and that works for everybody. Great. Stay there. Mm -hmm. If you are want more, I think when this comes up is people talk about there being a mismatch. Mm-hmm. This idea of one person wants polyamory and the other one wants just monogamish that every once mm-hmm. in a while we go to a play party and those conversations then need to be had between folks mm-hmm. around sure. what is the type of relationship that's going to make us feel safe and thrive. But it's not that one person should be forced to, to move down a particular poly ladder. Exactly, exactly. And I think when people are thinking about that, when people sort of look at non-monogamy in, in this kind of escalator, you know, in escalator relationship type scenario, I think what it often is that it's a reflection of a monogamous uh, point of view onto a non-monogamous structure. So this mm-hmm. idea of an escalated relationship, which the typically of like you meet, you date, you become exclusive, you maybe live together, you then get married and children, maybe have a second child, like the this kind of escalated relationship that is often associated with monogamy which is fine it's sometimes people especially people if people are coming from a monogamous structure and then opening up they kind of bring with them some of the learnings they don't go through the process what i like to call unlearning you need to unlearn some things and um newly learn or or learn some new things when you're coming into non-monogamy and i think if you don't do that you you just bring some of your monogamous point of views or learnings into non-monogamy and you kind of search for that escalation this very measurable step-by-step escalation and it can seem like um a path to more open you know a path to more relationships a path to whatever that it might feel like and it doesn't necessarily work that way you know when i often talk about how non-monogamy is a blank canvas right your monogamy has a lot of structures and default settings that are already installed um, by society by culture by law Um, when you cross over to non-monogamy it's a blank canvas literally it's a blank canvas which means you can do whatever you want with it you can structure it whatever you want it's not a spectrum it's not linear it's not it doesn't have any kind of pre-installed structures or whatsoever there are some suggestions there are some models existing models um there are some labels that help you sort of communicate and get on the same page with people but ultimately what it looks like is really up to you and that can be both freeing and exciting and kind of scary because you really have to figure out what you want and you can't really rely, rely on default settings Right. To your point, it's what is exciting about this and what is terrifying about this. Mm-hmm, where yeah. you get to the point of the conversation with somebody and you're like, all right, you look at each other and you're like, so what do we do now? Like, what's next? Mm-hmm. You have to author what's next. Like, there mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a roadmap. And if that's not comfortable for folks, there are roadmaps. Certainly, there is an escalation pattern that you can go through. But if that's not what you want, if that's not aligned with who you are, the, that moment mm-hmm. is to check in with yourself. 
And so the, the second myth that we want to bust is if you are being told or if you feel internally like you are supposed to be something, be more open, be more free, be something else that, that what feels like is aligned with who you are, then ignore that. That is just not <laughs> true. Be, be aligned with your authenticity and, and what that means in relationship in your relationship. Yes. I want to add one more thing to that myth, which we're busting right now, which is that uh, the more open you are, the more evolved you are, which is also a belief that comes along in polyamory. The more open, the more poly you are, the more evolved you are, the better you are at relationships, that you're like, you're on your way to some sort of relationship nirvana. It's just not true. It's not true. Um, you can have exactly the same skills, relationship skills, relating skills, communication skills, um, emotional and regulation skills, same IQ, same IQ, same EQ, all the same things. And one person can choose a monogamous structure and the other person can choose a polyamorous structure. And there's no, that, that, that says nothing about their ability to relate or to be a good partner or the way they are able to conduct themselves or how they show up. It's just whatever works for you is whatever works for you. And it's not a representation of your relationship skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Busted. Busted. So I want to keep on this line and lane of escalators because mm -hmm. I think there's another myth around the relationship escalator or relationship milestones that have to happen within a relationship. And this is actually something that I have struggled with because I think you shared this earlier that we bring a monogamous construct, that mentality into all of our relationships. So what I've ended up doing is kind of having parallel monogamous relationships where there's more than one, but they follow the same escalation pattern, right? Where you meet and there's attraction, that attraction can turn to love, that love then turns to maybe sharing a space together, then maybe getting married, then figuring out if you want to have children. Like there's this prescribed pattern of what we're supposed mm -hmm. to do when we are in love and we found the one. And what's challenging within, uh, at least for me and my experience within a non-monogamous relationship is when some of those things are not available to you. So I am married and so I cannot now get married again unless mm -hmm. I get divorced. Like that's not available to me. And so I've had lots of conversations with my partner around how do we illustrate then what our love feels like, what our commitment feels like, what our relationship means to us and to society if we don't have some of the most commonly referred to or sought after mm -hmm. next steps. So let's debunk that, first of all, that mm -hmm. you have to follow the escalator in order for your relationship to matter, to be important, or to be illustrative of love. Yes, absolutely. And I think it, I think this also works on the monogamous side too, right? I just want to like air that for a second. Uh, people who are in long-term monogamous relationships who are just not interested in getting married, you know, I, I personally know plenty of people who are in that situation. We also have these trends in um, Scandinavian countries. There's definitely, you know, they're looking at post-marriage societies where people aren't just getting married. They don't see the point. They don't see why it makes sense. There's uh, definitely a group of, group of people within those countries that are getting married for tradition reasons, for, you know, personal reasons. But the system is set up that it no longer incentivizes the marriage contract. And once they've done that, uh, people have kind of decided that it's it's not important anymore. Um, they still do have relationship milestones or landmarks, but it just doesn't include a contract, the marriage contract, or it doesn't include this like linear escalation. So yeah, I mean, it, it, this is on the monogamy side, right? 
and then when you cross over to non-monogamy, uh, you now also have some restrictions because even though you might want to get married for tradition reasons or because it means something to you, uh, or maybe it is also just like le- the legal perks that you get in, in definitely in the US and some other countries, you can't, right? You can only marry one person at a time. So you can't. And then the question becomes, like, how do you then define this relationship? How do you, what are you celebrating? How, how, what is it that makes it special? And I think we're here to debunk that marriage is not the only way to signify a relationship. Marriage, I mean, the marriage contract is not the only way to increase a relationship's quality or worth. And there are many other ways that you can really celebrate a relationship that you might, you know, that might not be available for marriage. Yeah, let's talk through some of those because this is a very, again, real and personal situation for me. It's it, that I have been trying to figure out with my partner, how do we illustrate that without mm-hmm. that marriage contract? And some of the things that we've talked about are uh, having a ceremony. So having something that mm-hmm. is important for us. And so our anniversary is on New Year's. And so we do celebrate and kind of have a ceremony on New mm-hmm. Year's just, just for the two of us. We've talked about getting tattoos, mm-hmm. like matching tattoos. We've talked about changing our name. So mm-hmm. even though I'm married, I could still Change, legally change my name and do a hyphenated name that, that is reflective of my partnership with my partner. Um, things like that that mean something that illustrate to publicly and privately for ourselves that this is significant, this is unique, this is important. Mm-hmm. So I think first and foremost, the most important part is that it needs to mean something to you. Mm-hmm. That it needs to mean something that, you know, whatever it is, that it, mean, it means something to you. And, and just going back to the example of getting married, um, if, you, if you are somebody who doesn't put any value in, in, in the marriage contract, then maybe a proposal might not feel so significant to you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is the reverse situation that, that you're in. I think the most important thing is whatever you're celebrating, whatever you are naming as the milestone, as the landmark, needs to mean something to all the all parties in the relationship. So, and and whatever that can look like, uh, I think some of the examples that you gave that you're considering between you and your partner are great. Um, I've definitely you know seen and heard and and practiced some myself. Adding labels um, to the relationship is definitely helpful. So calling someone your partner, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or you know whatever that that label is is helpful. Sometimes people feel like there's a prestige to go with that. There's some status to go with that, right? Also, socializing together is, I think, is important for people to see that their relationship is witnessed and accepted mm-hmm. and celebrated by their social circles. I think that could be a real landmark um, moment. Mm-hmm. Similar to um, socializing with with you know friends, um, being introduced to families or kids are also mm-hmm. very very significant. That was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because I know your daughter and and your partner are actually kind of get on really well. Yeah, they have a great relationship, and so it's it's true. It took some time in the beginning for me to feel comfortable with introducing them, and now they have a great relationship. Same was true when I introduced her to my sister. When I had the conversation with my mother, that those really did feel like milestone moments for us. For sure. And so it does that counted that mattered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think some of the other ones that you can think of is like posting on social media together. I think that's especially like 21st century. Uh, it's significant. Uh, Facebook official is still a thing, so you can you can become Facebook official. I think that's uh, it's it's like the digital version of getting married. Of, um, so that's definitely an option. 
also looking at your domestic situation, sharing house keys or considering sort of a split living situation. I know that you're doing that right now, um, that you're spending mm-hmm. part of your time with one in one household with one partner and then the other with the other partner. And that's kind of splitting your domestic space. Um, mm-hmm. That can definitely be a landmark moment for a relationship. Similarly, sharing finances, be it bank accounts or phone bills, um, that's also huge and, and significant. I know that I bought a property with a partner that whom I wasn't married with. Mm-hmm. And once we decided to sell, this was all amicable, selling property that was co-owned had more paperwork than divorce. So mm. it was like, you know, it was like, okay, I think buying property might actually be like the <laughs> ultimate <laughs> connection. <laughs> I think that's true. Well, even, but to that point, we just, my partner and I just started a bank account together and that felt like a big deal for both of us. Yeah. Because now, right, you're investing in this thing, there's shared bills, there's like a shared debit card for the household mm. and things like that. And so these were things that I had certainly set up almost naturally in my marriage because those things, and, and frankly, honestly, took time too. We were married for several years before we joined our, our finances. Mm-hmm. And so that felt like, honestly, that felt like a bigger moment to me than getting married, like for sharing sure. money. Yeah, like for sure. Yeah, I know. Exa- I mean, it all depends how you feel about these things, right? And mm-hmm. like I said, like buying property with somebody, I'm getting into a financial debt situation with somebody. And I've been married and divorced, by the way. So I've, I've done both of those. I've been married. I got divorced. I bought property with, with somebody. In fact, I've done that twice. I, bit, I bought property with my ex-husband. And then I bought property with a partner whom I wasn't married with. And honestly, out of those, the property and like getting a joint mortgage was more taxing for me emotionally, mentally than getting married and then getting divorced. So it just yeah. really depends like how you experience these things. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another one, you know, a, a cute one is maybe sharing a pet. Um, that's mm-hmm. another that's another way to kind of signify your relationship. Again, I feel like I have a dog that I love dearly. I don't know, like sharing a pet with someone would be a huge would be a huge deal. And my ex partner and his wife and I considered it. So my ex Metamor mm-hmm. and I, for a while, very actively searched for a puppy that we were supposed to be sharing. And I was the one who pulled out of that a- arrangement. I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like, this is almost like having a kid together and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, right? Um, but it was definitely something that we're doing. We just wanted to, you know, we talked about kids for like a hot second um, that she would have one and I would have one with our partner. That was a conversation for like a hot second. And I was like, oh, definitely not ready for that. And then we and then we went down to like maybe having a pet together. I wasn't ready for that either. <laughs> but those, you know, those are very significant relationship moments. Yeah. It's true. The things things around money, things around pets, things, medical things, being a medical proxy for someone. Mm. Again, you don't have to be. So there's so many. The point I think is the myth around that marriage is the next step. That that is a right. defining it's factor. It's the ultimate step. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That there are so many other ways. And, you know, the invitation, frankly, is just to be creative, is to mm-hmm. figure out what means something to you, what means something to your partner or partners, and what are the things that you can create that feel like milestones or traditions or landmarks that are special to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. We busted yet another myth. <laughs> Marriage, uh, take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The last one that I had on my list was around time mm-hmm. that we show our love by the amount of time that we spend with someone, that those mm, two things huge. are equal. 
Well, we know that scheduling is one of the things in non-monogamy that comes up often, right? The, 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 so I would say the three core topics that come up often are jealousy, scheduling, and communication. Those are three themes that are repeated and they should be repeated because they are important. And scheduling is definitely one of them. And scheduling is around time management. And that's why scheduling comes up often is because uh, people in multiple relationships can be sensitive towards the amount of time people are spending with one another. Because on some level, consciously or subconsciously, they are equating time spent to amount of love or the importance of a particular relationship or importance of a particular love. I think that happens because of the way that we think of love and the way that our language is structured, English language is structured. I think it happens because we know that love exists in our internal world, right? It's a feeling and exists in our internal world, which is, which is huge and boundless and has no limit. Therefore we can love as big as we can imagine. And, with no limits, with nothing, nothing stopping the amount of love we can generate for anybody. And we can love multiple, multiple people. We know it's the part of our human psyche. It's the way that we evolve. However, when we get to express that love, especially in language, we are limited because the English language, um, you love ice cream and you love your partner. Uh, you love your parents. And for some of us, we love God and all with the same word. And if you go back to the etymology of the word love, and if you go back to so the, the Latin expressions of love, there are different words for all these different loves that I just talked about. So love for a partner is very different than the spiritual love that you might feel. Language has evolved now that we have this one, one word. And we know instinctively that you don't love ice cream like you love your partner, but we just have the same word. So what we, ref- what we end up defaulting to is, well, how much do you love? You know, you, you, you don't love ice cream as much as your partner, depending on the day, but it is, it is really, we end up developing this idea of like more love, less drive, this hierarchy of love, this amount of love, where it doesn't, you know, if you think about it, if you really check in, it doesn't really exist that way, right? It's just, you're just not talking, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Anyway, so because we have that limitation, and we introduce this idea of more or less love, then we try to measure it sometimes, especially if there's a sense of scarcity, right? Especially if there are multiple partners at play and we know that we're limited by this one thing, which is time, that we have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is the only limitation. Not the way we love, but the amount of time that we can spend with partners. So naturally, this idea of love gets mapped into this idea, this idea of time, which we know how to measure. And we measure really well. We measure time in it to the millisecond. And it comes up in every single part of our life, from work to play to catching buses, right? So we're very adept at measuring time. So we map on this idea of love onto this very measurable unit of time. And now we are um, doing tit for tat. Now we're going, well, you spent, you know, three hours with somebody or you spend one hour with somebody. You obviously love the person that you spend three hours with more than the person that you only spend one hour with. And that is a big, it's a a challenge that that people who are practicing non-monogamy arrive at. And the myth that we're busting is that time spent and love are not correlated. It's not about love. It's just about time management. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important for both folks, honestly, to hear if you are on the side of feeling bad that you can't give more of your time. And I find myself in that space often where I 
would want, would want to. I would love to clone myself and be with all the people all the time. I had a conversation with my daughter recently. So, you know, she, her father and I share custody and she goes back and forth. So he's in the same neighborhood and we walk to each other's houses and he has her for a week and then she's at my house for a week. And certainly she's, she experiences missing, missing one of us at some point. Mm -hmm. And we'll say sometimes like, can I have an extra day here, an extra day there? And we move things around to accommodate that. And having the conversation with her around why we have the separate spaces so certainly that part of that is we're not in relationship anymore, but we each thrive in having alone time with her. We thrive in having alone time on ourselves. We thrive with having alone time with our partners. And I you know, wanted to share with her that, that for me to be the full version of myself and the best mom that I can be, there's time I'm going to be with her and there's time I'm not going to be with her. That I'm going to be on my own or that I'm going to be with partners. And there's a lot of mom guilt there. There's a lot in, in looking at your kid and saying, I'm actually not going to spend 24 hours a day with you for me, even if that's what you want. I'm not going to do that for me because for me to be whole and for me to show up the way I want to as a parent, I need that space for myself. And as hard as that was, it was also really important for me to role model to her that sometimes you have to disappoint someone in order to carve out what you need to thrive. And so it absolutely means that in my time with her, I am very intentional about how we spend that time. Mm -hmm. So we carve out three hours a day during the time that she and I are together, where we just play, where we do activities, where we talk mm -hmm. and we hang out, that that is just our sacred time. And mm -hmm. I can do that because I have a week without her <laughs> that I can like right. recuperate and restore. And all. But I want to teach her that sometimes you have to disappoint somebody. I, mm -hmm. I've had that again in experience with my partners where someone will say, you've spent more weekends in that house than in this house, or you spent more days there or more time on text or more. more. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say, well, that's where I wanted to be, or that's where my attention mm -hmm. is. And balancing the needs of somebody whose love language may be quality time. Mm -hmm. with your own needs for autonomy mm -hmm. or for space or for, again, time with a partner, time with yourself. And so I think that part of this is if you feel badly that you're not getting it, look at potentially all the, all the things that you are getting and determine if love, your love language is time spent. And if you're the person who is trying to manage the time for other people, then thinking about do you feel guilty about it? And are there some, is there some self-empathy that you can provide around, you need that time to be the person who they love, mm -hmm. who they want to be with? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also it's worth just referring to the distinction that we made in the last episode when we did consensual non-monogamy, which is, which I think is absolutely vital concept that you need to wrap your head around, which is your relationship is not your partner and your partner is not your relationship. Your relationship is a separate entity that both of you contribute to, to design, that you take care of, that you build. And time spent is a part of your relationship structure and your relationship dynamics. It's not about your partner. It's not about how much you love them. It's just about the time that you spend with them. And that, like in your situation, you have other things to you have to you have to manage your time also with your daughter. Um, obviously, you know work and the the bajillion projects that that you're involved in. Um, same here with family. There's there's, like, there's demands on our time across our lives, and it's very rare that the time spent is about love. It's really just about often, more often than not, is practical management. 
And I think if we were, if you're we you're able to separate thing, those things in our lives and realize that relationship dynamics, life dynamics are separate from people that we might have an easier time with not getting the amount of time that we might, we might want. And then we might over time realize, oh, that, you know, how I'm loved or how much I'm loved is not measured by the amount of time spent with the person. Yeah. And personally, when I felt that way and have had the awareness and time to kind of unpack it and peel down the layers, I realized that my desire for more time often came in feeling like there was either a gap internally or a gap in my relationship. Mm -hmm. So if I felt like I wasn't getting enough time and attention, that may have been because I wasn't feeling particularly great about myself in that Mm -hmm. moment and Mm -hmm. need and was waiting on the validation of Mm -hmm. text messages or phone Mm -hmm. calls or someone saying that they wanted to see me to feed that part of myself as Mm -hmm. opposed to doing the work that I needed to do to feel whole in myself Mm -hmm. or potentially with a gap within the relationship that was missing. I think when, you know, when my wife started to spend time with someone else and they were planning dates together and going shopping and doing all these fun things. And at first it said, it felt like, oh, you're spending more time there. And I realized, oh no, there are activities that you're engaging in Mm -hmm. that feel thoughtful and creative and fun. And I want thoughtful and creative and fun within my relationship. And that felt like a gap. So it wasn't about the time. It was about the level of thought potentially into planning their time together because she would say to me, we're together all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but we're doing dishes and we're doing food mm-hmm. shopping and we're cleaning the house. Like what is, it's not, it wasn't then actually about time. Mm-hmm. It was about the quality of that time or the For intentionality sure. and the thoughtfulness there. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I would call it bandwidth. That's something else mm-hmm. that I, you know, bring up in relationship when you talk about time, people will say things like, oh, I, you know, I, we've, our agreement within the relationship is that we only date one day a week. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they, what they're doing is they're only allocating that one day a week time to these like new relationships what they're not accounting for the amount of bandwidth you might be allocating to this no person the amount of text messages the amount of the amount of time that you're thinking about that one one day yeah. a week the research you might be doing for the the things that you want to do so again time spent you might be spending that one day with somebody one day a week with somebody maybe total of like four hours, but you might be spending 20 hours in research and anticipation and text messages and, and, you know, booking things for that four hours a week, you know? So it's, again, it's like time isn't necessarily indication of attention. It's not indication of, you know, how special someone is or how, how much you love them or anything like that. So I think it's worth just one of those myths that's really uh, worth busting. I like it. See us challenging the status quo. You see what we're doing? Totally. As always. (laughs) Onwards. Onwards. So you and I are going to be collaborating on next Wednesday, September Mm -hmm. 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be doing a workshop on hashtag poly problems. Mm -hmm. And so in that session, we're going to go through, take a deeper dive into lots of common questions and concerns. And so I thought that maybe we can talk about, I don't know, top four or five situations Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk in more detail about in the workshop, but it may be value for us to talk through now because these are things that we commonly hear over and over and over around folks and have struggled with personally around navigating these things when you have been in these relationship constructs for a certain period of time. Yep. So this one came up in our last workshop Mm -hmm. and it is something that we hear a lot around how do you navigate through your frustration 
that the person that you're with is essentially that they're not feeling the things or doing the things that you want them to do, right? So maybe you both agree to open, you both agree to something, and now they are they are feeling lots of jealousy. They're asking for more guidelines. They are saying, um, I don't know if I can do this. There's something about the way that your partner is showing up and you're trying to be empathetic, but at some point you're feeling frustrated. You're like, this is not what we agree to. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be more open than this. Right, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question, right? Because I think it, this is also common, right? I think people get misaligned in relationships, regardless of their structure. People will commit to things, you know, this could be about, you know, a monogamous couple can agree to having kids at a certain time. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be getting married and we're going to give ourselves three years to settle in and we're going to try for our first baby, right? You know, three years comes along, someone's career is doing really well or, you know, they don't feel they're ready. They don't want to give up their party lifestyle. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I can put it up for another year, right? I think it's a similar situation within poly relationships or, or, or relationship, open relationships. Like, oh, we said that we could see people, you know, we could see people more often than once a week year goes by and we still have these restrictions in place you know you're saying you want it now you don't want it you know that's kind of what what i understand from this question and and the people feeling like there's not an opportunity to your point for growth that a Mm -hmm. decision that we made a year ago is something that we're sticking to and i've grown past that or i want more now or i want different now and allowing for individual evolution within a relationship absolutely to your point, there are two people or more people, three mm-hmm. people, four people, whatever the relationship construct, and then there's the relationship. Mm-hmm. And the relationship will evolve, but the people will evolve. And so it's almost like you like I'm thinking now about space where you have planets moving around the sun mm-hmm. and they're moving mm-hmm. on their own and they're also moving around in a circle. And the same thing I think is true in this case where there is individual evolution, there's the evolution of a relationship, and sometimes there's frustration when the timing of those things don't work. Yes. Or don't align or feel mismatched. Right, right, right. I, I think the important thing is to remember to, to understand, to have a, like a, an honest and open conversation across the board, and to say if the resistance towards whatever the whatever this like this sort of next step, next phase is, if that resistance is truly a pace thing, or is it just a straight up resistance, like a never thing, right? If it's something that is just, you're just never going to get there because there's no version of this. There's no iterations of, of whatever you want to open up. That Let's say you want to open up, let's say you're in an open relationship and you're considering being more of a polyamorous structure, meaning you want to develop more than one, one, more than one relationship. You want it to be less focused around the couple. Maybe you want to you know, split your time with somebody else, like the way that you're doing and the other person isn't ready. And maybe they're saying, I'm not ready. I need more time. Yes, I do want this. Yes, I am going to get there, but I'm not ready yet. Right. I think there needs to be some honest conversations around. Is it really about readiness? Is it really that you're very clear about what it's going to take? Like, is it going to take a certain amount of conversation? Is it going to take a certain amount of reassurance? Is it going to take a, you know, what, like, are you clear about what is that path? Like, as you are saying, I'm not ready. Are you clear about what are the steps you can take towards being ready? Right. Is it literally just time attrition that you need to just sit with the experience? Right. Or do you need, um, you know, whatever it takes for you to feel more stable, more safe, 
more grounded in a relationship? What do those things look like, right? If you can be clear about those things and you can can work towards those things, that's like one version. And I think if that's where you're at, you know, I think in that in those cases, you calibrate to the lowest common denominator, meaning you calibrate to the person at the lowest pace, right? As long as there's a clear path, right? If you're on, if you're on a, if there is, if what you're really dealing with is somebody who's saying in a minute, in a minute, in a minute, and what they really mean is never, and they're just like kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road, right? And I have clients like that. I have clients that I've seen, I've been seeing for years, and one party is kicking the phone, kicking the can down the, you know, down the road, and I'm there. I will continue to be there. I don't know if they're ever going to get there, you know? You need to be honest with yourself. If you're saying in a minute and what you mean is never, you kind of have to change your script and just say, look, I'm just never going to get there. I don't see how I will thrive in this next phase that you're imagining. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's two things that I pull out of what you're saying. One is... I've heard people say like, I'm not, I can't do this or I'm not ready yet for this or the, and, and what I hear you saying is get specific. What is the, this mm-hmm. that you can't do? Or what is right. it, this that you are not ready for? Like, right. what is the thing that is the story in your head, which is a phrase that you use. That's mm-hmm. really helpful. What is the thing that is in your head that you are trying to prevent mm-hmm. or that you're trying to move towards? Like, what right. is this? What is that? The other thing that I hear about what you're, from what you're saying is this desire for the other person to change. Is there each waiting? So if I delay it enough, you'll finally get tired of asking me for it or you'll just not want it anymore. And Mm -hmm. then I can, or if I persuade you enough and if I push you enough, finally you'll be open. And if you find yourself in that space of trying to convince someone of something constantly or trying to avoid something constantly, Mm -hmm. it's something to do, to think about in a relationship check-in. It's something to, to name. Absolutely. In fact, it says on my website that don't bring your partner to me in the hopes that I will convince them that open relationship is right for them. And I am because it has happened enough times that it, that because of the way that I advocate open relationships and, and that's what I focus on, that I have had plenty of people show up at my practice essentially saying, just tell my partner how wonderful non-monogamy is. And I'm like, it just might not be wonderful for them. Like I, I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe it's wonderful for everyone, actually. Um, and that's why it says on my website, like, don't bring a partner to me if you think that I will convince them that open relationship is right for them. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. and if you're trying to convince somebody, I wouldn't. Yeah. So I think if you're feeling frustrated because your relationship is not where you hoped it would be, or your partner is not as responsive, or saying even saying or doing the things that you thought that they would, that's worth having a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's worth really asking what's happening for you. Is mm-hmm. it about time, like you said, or is there really a resistance that, that's deeper than that? And what's important for you? Is it something that you need to do right now? Is there a sense of urgency around that? Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people are interested in open when they have started to f- have feelings for somebody else or mm-hmm. have a crush on somebody else. And that's why there's a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. It's not conceptual now. It's like, I'm starting to, I want to connect with that person. I want to sleep with that person. I want right. to be with that person. And if that sense of urgency is creating uh, impatience mm-hmm. and that's why you're showing up as frustrated, again, these are just things to be aware of. Like really sure. sit with where this anger is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's something that I ask my clients all the time. Do you have someone in mind? There's like, I can, I can always tell that there's like, if there's a pause, I'm like, yep, 
there's someone they have in mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, ideally, I actually, you know, put it out there. Whether you want it or not, it's just worth having a conversation about your relationship structure with your partner, your existing partner, or your future partners. This is not the idea. What I'm not saying, talk to your partners about having an open relationship, but just address the fact that there's there are different structured relationships and that where they're at, where, where you're at, investigate and consider for yourself what you think the right structure for you is without necessarily, like you might be defaulting to monogamy. Just challenge that for a hot second. Just be like, am I choosing monogamy consciously, dynamically, actively because I know what I'm going to create with it, what I'm trying to avoid, what I'm trying to preserve? Like you're intentionally picking that structure or are you just defaulting because that's what the noise tells you? That is all you have known. So you just can't imagine a different version that might that you it might be allowed, you know. So whether you are monogamous or non-monogamous, just have that conversation. And the reason I say that is because having that foundation of conversation in place, should things change, then it won't feel so huge. If you have if you started to have that, if you have a habit, a open communication channel about talking about relationship structure if somebody has a desire for change if somebody has someone in mind they might want to date and and they want to bring up the structure then it won't be such a huge like earth-shaking um experience for the relationship and for the people in the relationship so just have the conversation about like how do you feel about monogamy not to change anyone's mind but the kind of say why are we choosing monogamy? Why is it working for us? You know, mm-hmm. today I was thinking about this. Why, like, why would you choose monogamy? Because I'm, I'm very pro-monogamy. One of the reasons that I can totally see why somebody would choose monogamy is I can see how somebody can just want to say, look, I want to concentrate on one relationship. I want to master. I want to invest in that one relationship. I want to master it. I want to um, really invest in this and I want to focus on one relationship. I struggle to split my time, split my attention, get organized. I want to pour everything that I have into, into one relationship and really get that right right? That's a very legit reason to want to be in one relationship, you know? Or you can say there are areas of my life that already take up a lot of bandwidth. Like I am career focused. I, you know, really want to spend any kind of extra time I have on my career, or maybe you have a hobby that that you feel really passionate about. And then you don't have extra bandwidth for these extra relationships. Because as we've said at the beginning of this conversation, relationships are hard work. More relationships are harder work. It's just the way they are. So maybe you don't want to spend that time, energy, effort, bandwidth to other relationships. Mm-hmm. And so some relationships then won't last. I was about to say they don't work out or they're not successful. And neither of those are true. I want to put that in my own. Those are also myths. They're just because someone you uncouple and you're no longer in a relationship does not mean that that relationship was not successful. I think that my first marriage was quite successful and that we learned a lot about ourselves. We traveled the world. We had a child. It was a great experience. And now we're really good friends. And so that was a successful relationship that morphed into a different type of relationship. Right. If a relationship ends, that can be challenging. And it's especially interesting when it is not your relationship that's ending, but it's your partner's relationship with someone else that is ending. Hashtag and, poly problems. You know, and you have to like, 
I, well, you, I mean, what do you have to do? I mean, you, you are showing up supportive, but that could look so different for people. For sure. And so that's not something that one experiences in a monogamous relationship where your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever partner is breaking up with someone else and mm-hmm. they're sad about it and they're like thinking about it and they're consumed with it or they're whatever it is and, and showing up for them. For sure. And this could be anything from being ghosted, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they're, they sign date somebody and they're just being ghosted. All the way to maybe they've had an established relationship for a few years and now they're breaking up or, or they're breaking, you know, the, the other partner's breaking up with them or they're breaking up. So you could, they could run the gamut of, you know, they're having an entirely different experience within their relationship that has nothing to do with you, right? Because we always talk about what if my partner falls in love with somebody? Like that's often where we're like mostly preoccupied with. We don't really think about the fact that they could, you know, relationships suck. Dating sucks sometimes, you know, <laughs> that they might be getting wasted. They might be, you know, uh, with a partner that's not treating them well, or mm-hmm. they might be in a relationship with somebody who's struggling themselves with something. Mm-hmm. And that will, that will resonate. That will um, sort of domino into all the other relationships. And, yeah. and it's a very significant situation that you don't, experience anywhere else is a very mm-hmm. like there's a typical there's like a very unique hashtag poly problems like my partner and and their partner are breaking up and now mm-hmm. you know you're kind of living through this breakup that that with a you know that you're kind mm-hmm. of a part of but you're not um mm-hmm. so that definitely happens and i think the answer is often the same which is you need to figure out between between yourselves what it looks like how you can support that person how you feel about that metamorph, how you feel about that lover's lover has a lot to do with how you handle it, right? Mm-hmm. If you never liked them in the first place, maybe you're kind of like rejoicing inside and this being like, oh, my poor baby, I'm sorry it's happening, right? There's one version of it. <laughs> or if, you, if you're on the other side of that spectrum and you're actually really good friends with them, which, is, which has been, been my situation with, with my metamorphs, when they're breaking up, I threw a conscious uncoupling party for an ex-partner and their partner. And he and I carried on dating and they split up or they transitioned, they uncoupled, they remained friends too. And she and I are dearest friends to this day, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of navigated one uncoupling while we maintained one relationship and a friendship. And these things are complicated. You don't see that. There is no version of that in in, in monogamy. And it's a, you know, definitely a hashtag poly problem. Um, And the answer is you humanize the situation. You be supportive as much as you can. You do a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. You figure out what people need and Mm -hmm. you check in with yourself and you see what's what you have available to give what boundaries mm-hmm. there are and you go from there yeah same is true when you mentioned this before when their relationship you know bumps in the road or hard times and hard moments how do you support your partner through those mm-hmm. moments too mm-hmm. and i think about my wife and i we have very different she's a headlines person i'm a details person i'm a fine mm-hmm. print person so you know I'll ask her how her day is and she'll say good she'll ask me how my day is and i'll give her a run through of like every meeting mm-hmm. that i had and so we show up differently and it took us some time to re- realize that pacing that i'll ask her how's your relationship going and she's like it's okay everything's going really well mm-hmm. and then she'll ask me and i'll be like it was great you know we had dinner on this night and we did this and that um and the same sometimes was true with when there was challenges is giving her space to be internal 
and not share out and, and giving that room and for her giving me space sometimes if I needed to process and to, to vent something. So it is about figuring out what each person needs. Yeah. I think it's true. As I said, often we are talking about new relationship energy and the impact of somebody, you know, meeting somebody new and bringing that energy. I think there's the same sensitivity on both ends of that, right? If you are like totally ecstatic about this new relationship and you're showing up in your other relationship only talking about this new thing and not paying attention to the existing relationship and you're kind of enthralled in it, I think, you know, ideally you're your partner is, is in a place of compersion and can support and celebrate with you. Uh, I can totally see though this going, you know, if you go, if you, this goes overboard, then you, it could feel excluded, like they could feel excluded. They could feel like, uh, I know a, a client of mine um, talks about feeling like an old shoe, you know, which mm. is really sad. Mm. So, you know, it, I think it's the flip side of that. I think the, the NRE on one side and the other side is like breaking up with somebody it's still this idea of like your partner is having an entirely separate experience and entirely separate relationship than you and you're kind Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out how to navigate that yeah it's funny because I one of the things that I tell my daughter sometimes is like read the room like she'll she'll come Mm -hmm. in with like really big energy or really dramatic energy or something and I'm like read the room (laughs) read that and I think the truth the same thing is true here like read the space I mean I've certainly had that experience where things with my partnership were thriving and I was really happy and joyful and excited and you know my wife was in the struggle with her partner and so like she was in a very different energetic space and part of it is reading the room I'm not going to walk around and gush and be like let me tell you what we did yesterday right like that's just not that's not right and you know giving space for that so the point is it's like everything else just be, know yourself know the other person yeah. have communication for sure in his book mastery robert green talks about social intelligence um mm. which is essentially like knowing how to read the room like knowing where other people are at and sort of crafting your experience or crafting your response and your reaction to the situation and people with where they're where they are at in place and how the social structures are in place so I think it's a similar, yeah. it's a similar idea. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned metamors, and it makes me think about you know the relationship that we have with our partner's partner, which, which is incredibly unique to poly relationships. It makes me think about just other people in this dynamic, right? So raising children or having children within partnerships. And we have done some podcast episodes about it. We've had some panel discussions, written some blog posts about it. And so if we have, if there are more questions, if you're like, wait, you haven't addressed my poly problem, mm-hmm. a few things that we that we encourage people to do. Mm-hmm. Number one, go to the blog, go to past podcast episodes, because we have talked about metamors. We've talked about um, raising children and in, in non-monogamous constructs and what that looks like. And then Join us on Wednesday. Join us mm-hmm. on the 23rd um, at 8 p.m. Eastern in the Virtual Curiosity Salon because we are going to be talking through some of the things that we talked through today in more detail, but really exploring some more of the concerns and problems and solutions mm-hmm. that we have come up with as a community within this open space. Exactly. So if you're looking for a safer space to talk about realities of non-monogamous life uh, without questions or judgment from your monogamous friends, um, join Jacqueline and me on Wednesday, September 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern as we talk about hashtag polyproblems. The relationships are hard regardless of their structure. This is how we started off this conversation. There are definitely ebbs and flows and struggles and wins and fights and celebrations in any relationship. 
However, non-monogamous relationships have a set of their own challenges that are unique. So we've developed a session that will be part info session, part Q&A, part story sharing with plenty of time for conversations around the topics and questions that really matter most to you. Our goal is to bring both clarity and inspiration to your opening up journey. Tickets are available on our Facebook page, on our Instagram bio, on our website by searching We Are Curious Foxes, wherever you are. If you are not able to join or if you're listening in the future, not to worry, you can watch a recording of the workshop on our Patreon. So if you go into We Are Curious Foxes on Patreon and become a member, you're going to have access to all the video recordings from our in-person and virtual events and conferences, as well as free tickets, discounted tickets, exclusive events, and more. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram, We Are Curious Foxes. You can follow Effie and I on Instagram while you're on there. Uh, you can find Effie at Coach Effie Blue and my Myself at Jacqueline Misla. And if you have liked this podcast, if you were like, this is something other people should be listening to, like it, share it, review it, comment it, do all the things. Please do all the things. <laughs> it makes a difference. It really, so many people reach out to us and say that the podcast, they, they, someone forwarded it, a friend did, and, and it really meant something and they learned something. And so change the noise along with us and do that. If you have any things that you want us to explore on the podcast or via the blog or maybe an event, you can email us at listening at We Are Curious Foxes, or you can give us a call on our podcast hotline at 201-870-0063. And you can share a recording of your question and we can play it on a podcast episode and share our answer. Nice. We are looking forward to seeing you on September 23rd. Thank you, Foxes, for listening. And of course, as always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.